In conversations about the global green transition, the regulation and bureaucracy of the public sector is often juxtaposed with the innovation and competition of the private sector. But it doesn't have to be like that. In fact, it is possible and necessary to harness the combined strengths of government and the private sector to reach our climate goals in a way that supports economic prosperity and social cohesion. Denmark has successfully engaged in public-private climate action for decades. And in 2019, it was taken to new heights with a project that has been dubbed the greatest green brainstorm in the nation's history. You're listening to Sound of Green, a podcast from State of Green. Each episode, we invite experts and stakeholders to convey Danish perspectives on a given challenge of the global green transition. Through decades of experience, Denmark has turned many of these challenges into opportunities. By sharing these experiences, we hope to help you do the same. In this episode, we explore how the public and private sector can work together to supercharge the green transition. In 2019, the newly elected Danish government made international headlines when it enacted legally binding targets for greenhouse gas emissions. The story actually started uh, when Denmark got a new government. Uh, the government had these very ambitious targets of the 70% reduction and in 2030. This is Anders Hoffmann, a deputy permanent secretary at the Danish Ministry for Climate, Energy and Utilities. With the government's ambitious goals, it was clear from the beginning that regulation alone will not suffice. Innovation, solutions and investments are also needed. All things that are largely supplied by the private sector. Anas was one of the people tasked with finding a model for how to best facilitate the engagement of the private sector. He asked us and the Ministry of Business whether we could come up with a setup where we sort of involved uh, industry in some way. Then we went back to, uh, to the drawing board and, and together with the Ministry of, of Business really tried to say, I mean, how could you engage industry in a way where we actually had a partnership? We had this idea that we really want to have them engaged in a dialogue where they also took responsibility for, the own, for their own action. Before long, that idea was formulated into an actual project. The government divided the Danish economy into 13 and later 14 sectors, who were all invited to participate in industry-specific climate partnerships. The partnerships covered every corner of the private sector, from construction to commerce, to food and agriculture to finance. The invitation came with a task. Each partnership was asked to present a proposal on how their individual sector could contribute to reaching the national goal of a 70% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. The proposals from the partnerships also had to include concrete recommendations for the government on how to support and enable the proposed green initiatives of each industry. In simple terms, it's a green roadmap for the industries by the industries. To get the private sector on board with the idea, the government had to first secure the support of the major trade and business associations, which would act as secretariats for the 14 different partnerships. My immediate reaction was that, uh, well, the excitement part consisted primarily uh, of two things. Uh, one, it sounded like a really great idea. 
and that the Confederation of Danish Industries were really well placed to actually uh, take on the task. This is Jens Stantanel Petersen, who eventually became in charge of all the work of the four climate partnerships that the Confederation of Danish Industry was made the secretariat of. He was particularly excited about how the initiative could help bring the government closer to the challenges faced by the private sector in the green transition. You actually try to to enter into all the different business sectors and try to to explore what what are the real issues uh, and obstacles to the green transition. So this initiative was a really um, good solution to try and bridge that information gap, trying to bring together people on on the floor, so to speak, and and the people doing uh, the regulatory frameworks. It was also important for the government that the project was endorsed at the highest levels of Danish industry. They asked the CEOs of some of the biggest Danish companies within each sector to chair the partnerships. Companies like Ørstel, Denfoss and Mask. And luckily, they accepted the invitation. All of the CEOs we asked actually said yes. So we sort of started with, with a very, very, very high quality uh, of CEOs uh, joining the partnership. And in that respect, it, that by itself created, I think, a very positive momentum that you can see, okay, these guys are taking this seriously, so there's a reason for taking this seriously. You may be wondering, how exactly did the government convince the private sector that these partnerships were worth their time and effort? A key part of the answer was assuring the industries that this wasn't an attempt to point fingers or micromanage their activity. Instead, the government emphasized that partnering up was about finding a constructive way forward, which supports a just green transition of the economy. In the climate law and in the climate partnership, there's this notion that, okay, we want to have a green transition of the economy, but we want to do it in a way where we keep Denmark as a wealthy, well-connected, good jobs nation. This is about sort of including them as part of the solution. One of the companies in, in the partnership is the Danish cement production. And they are clearly the, the biggest emitter of any in Denmark. But they are now part of the discussion. So it's not whether or not they should close. It's how can we transform cement production into something green. And I think that that was very uh, in, important in, in that respect. With the private sector on board, the work could begin. The ball was now in the private sector's court. And while there was excitement, they also realized that it was no easy feat, as Jens Stendanel explains. On the other hand, there was also a, a more concerning part, and that was more uh, pertaining to, okay, how are we going to do this? Because it was quite a big task, and uh, we only had like three to four months to, to actually do it. In that short time frame, the partnerships engaged in a process within their sectors to develop a collective proposal for the government. Each partnership approached the process somewhat differently. This partly had to do with the fact that the partnerships cover such varied sectors who each have a distinct role to play in the green transition. For example, the Climate Partnership for the Energy Intensive Industry, which is responsible for high levels of emissions, had different concerns to address than the Climate Partnership for Finance, which plays a key role in bringing about more systemic change. Variations can also be attributed to how far along each sector were in their internal discussions about the green transition of their activities. The Confederation of Danish Industries 
was the Secretariat for Multiple Partnerships. Here's Jens describing how they approached the task. So first it was to come up with good and specific proposals uh, on what the industries could do themselves to reduce CO2 emissions uh, based on a thorough review uh, and outreach and pinpointing also what the government needs to do to support these initiatives. So we created a coordination group um, consisting of four sub-secretariats, so to speak, uh, which had the responsibility to work out the climate partnerships or recommendations uh, report. And they did that by um, convening advisory boards under each uh, climate partnerships, conducting workshops, meetings. Um, so we involved the whole house and we involved uh, a lot of our members at the same time. A defining trait of the process was co-creation. Most partnerships gathered insights from academia, the relevant ministries, civil society, but also from each other. As they each mapped out which sectorial challenges they were facing, they also relied on the other partnerships to find synergies, as Anders Hoffmann recalls. I think it was very obvious from the CEOs that, of course, they had a role, but also they were depending on each other. So there was this great panel where, where one of them said that, well, I mean, I'm responsible for her and for an airline, uh, I need green fuel. And one of the other guys said, well, I mean, we are in the business of producing fuels. Uh, and a third person said, well, I mean, we're, we're farmers. We actually have quite a lot of uh, biogas that you can use in order to use that fuel. And then finally, the last one said, well, I mean, we are in the capital business. We can, we can actually give the money to finance all of that. After an intense few months, the 14 climate partnerships delivered their proposals to the government in March of 2020, which amounted to over 400 concrete recommendations. Many of them quickly made their way into the Danish public discourse and beyond. A good example of this is the suggestion to construct an artificial energy island in the North Sea, capable of powering more than 10 million European households with green energy. Denmark's new uniform carbon tax which will make a substantial contribution to achieving the 2030 goal, is another example. The handover of the proposals to the government was not the end of the project, but the beginning of a new conversation. A conversation about implementation. Since the partnerships handed over their recommendations, the government has worked to implement them. Despite the pandemic and a host of other crises that have taken a lot of political attention over the past few years, the work has progressed significantly. And that's not just the verdict of the government themselves, as Jens Stantanel Petersen from the Confederation of Danish Industry can attest to. When you look at the results, I think there were 432 recommendations altogether. And today around 80% of them has been implemented or partially implemented. I think that's a really high um, success rate, actually. While there seems to be agreement that the climate partnerships have been a success in many ways, both the public and the private sector acknowledge that there were challenges throughout the process and things that could have been done better. From a private sector perspective, Jens Dandanel Petersen highlights two components in the preparatory work that could have made the process easier. Firstly, the format for the final proposals could have been streamlined better. Take out some learning points from the process. It would be that uh, it would be useful if the government 
had uh, prepared a common format for all the reports that the climate partnerships had to produce. That would make it much easier for each of the partnerships uh, to know exactly how they should write up recommendations and so on and so forth. And it would also be easier for the recipients to actually uh, navigate between the different, uh, the different reports. Secondly, the way that the government defined which sectors had to be included in each climate partnership didn't correspond to the common industry codes in Danish statistics. This created an extra bulk of work when it came to mapping the activities of each industry. Another learning point would be that the importance of data. The way that Danish partnerships were, were, were divided did not correspond with the way that, that data is accessible in Denmark. So we, so we, so we need to, to do some, some, uh, some adjustments in the data before we actually start, start the data crunching. Look at, okay, what, what data is available? How are they subdivided into sectors? And then try to, to define the, um, the different uh, climate, climate partnerships from that angle. In hindsight, Anders Hoffman recognizes that the government could have outlined the dynamics of the different phases of the climate partnerships more clearly. This would have helped align expectations with the private sector about the implementation of their recommendations. I think we should maybe have been a bit more clear from the outset that, that the process of coming up with ideas need to be short and compact, but actually implementing them and turning them into policy is a, it's a time-consuming process. And it's not just because we're slow, it's, it's because some of the ideas needed a lot more details or needed to be connected with, <clears throat> with other ideas, or you needed to start in one sector and then move to the, to the other sector. So I think in some way, this, this process afterwards uh, is, is the most difficult part uh, in the climate partnership. However, both parties ultimately agree that it's been a beneficial exercise. As a matter of fact, the short time frame, which had initially worried Jens Dendanel Petersen, ended up being a big part of what made the process work. Sometimes when I look back on the process, even though it was was a bit stressful, it actually uh, supported the whole whole process because all the people involved knew that they had to prioritize this over all the other tasks. It's a really good idea to actually prioritize this work because um, it will give a huge insight into what, what are the potential within their own sectors and also opens up for, for collaboration between sectors that would normally not talk to each other and then new ideas uh, arose and and people got to know each other and they created a, a new network that wouldn't have existed otherwise. For the government, both the partnerships and the public discussion surrounding them has been incredibly valuable. According to Anna Hoffman, it has improved the policymaking process and helped bring about green policies with the industry's stamp of approval. Given that they were out there, then they were part of the discussion. So, I mean, you had a lot of very good suggestions very early in the process out in the public domain and people were discussing them. And so when we're, when we're actually preparing policy, normally you, you prepare policy and then you put it out there. But now you have almost had the discussion before that, which really sort of, I think, increased the quality of the policy we could come up with when the government sort of presented these policies in parliament, that you knew that these were backed by the industry. Because I think for many, for many of the parties in the Danish parliament, it was very important when you included them in the discussions, you knew this was something that would benefit employment in Denmark and benefit Danish companies. 
The success of the Danish climate partnerships comes at a time when the global demand for accelerated and coordinated climate action has never been more apparent. Therefore, important work is currently being done to share the Danish experience with public-private collaboration outside of Denmark's borders. And some countries have already looked to the Danish model for inspiration. One of them is Iceland. Well, my name is Anna Sigurveig Ragnarsdóttir and I'm head of division here at the Ministry of the Environment, Energy and Climate in Iceland. Um, in the Department of Strategic Planning and Implementation, where I work with climate issues. Anna is responsible for coordinating the public-private collaboration on climate issues in Iceland, which is part of the current government charter. Now, when we had the government elected in 2021, we, we got a clear mandate of setting immediate targets in collaboration with the businesses. We have been developing our own approach to the climate sort of uh, collaboration with the businesses on, on climate issues, taking inspiration from different countries, especially from the Danish model of the climate partnerships. To accommodate the growing international interest in the climate partnerships, we at State of Green actually developed a step-by-step playbook on how others can learn from Denmark's work. The Climate Partnership Playbook was launched in September of 2022. The playbook outlines relevant aspects to include in climate action plans that involve both public and private sector engagement as well as how to increase the likelihood of their success. The playbook is intended for both public and private sector actors who want to devise ambitious climate targets and achieve them through cross-sector collaboration. In Iceland, the playbook reassured the ministry about the work they were about to undertake. When the playbook came out, we already had a quite clear idea of how we wanted to do this. What we did and what we got out of reading the playbook was sort of a consolidation of what our main concerns were. It provided us with a more solid background in taking various decisions and then approaches to what we were doing. And just to commend the Danish partnerships on the playbook that they put forward, where you, where you have all the different elements and, 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 and things that you need to consider in taking this sort of approach where you go from the scoping of the project to defining the governance and, and getting that right. And then also the, the, the final outcome and integration of, of the action plans. Though Denmark and Iceland are both Nordic and relatively small nations, all countries are uniquely positioned in the green transition. And a one-size model for public-private partnerships will not fit all. But as Anna explains, With initiatives like the Danish Playbook, many countries now have a very concrete tool to kickstart their journey towards public-private climate action. And for Iceland, we have gone through a sort of um, a process of trying to understand where our uniquenesses lie and then understanding how other countries approach these different issues. And we can see There's already such so much material and so many options for different kinds of collaborations that there this is something I believe everyone can do. The Danish climate partnerships 
are an example of how public-private partnerships can be an impactful type of climate action. And there are many pressing challenges in the green transition, which public-private partnerships offer a timely solution to. Firstly, many countries are or will soon be faced with the question of how to transform hard-to-abate sectors. Iceland is one of those countries, and they see public-private partnerships as a way of laying down the groundwork for tackling the challenge purposefully. Well, the energy for heating and electricity is nearly 100% renewable. So this means that we are progressing to harder to abate categories. And this is probably something that other countries will be reaching in a few years. As you move forward and you eliminate the easier to abate categories, this model might be able to help us with the identification of problems and, and barriers and help us to move forward in, in closer collaboration. A key element in reshaping the hard-to-abate sectors are the new technologies that will make the transformation possible. Here, public-private partnerships can help accelerate the journey and scaling of solutions from labs to market. This is something the Danish industry is very focused on, as Jens Dendelel Petersen explains. One area which is of uh, particular concern to the Danish industry is, is to ensure that we have enough uh, research and development and also to actually be able to shorten the way from, from innovation to production and, and then to the introduction to, to the actual markets. And there, public-private partnerships can play a, a huge and important role in actually identifying, okay, where, where are the exact problems um, that we need to address? A related area where public-private partnerships can play a major role is the decarbonization of supply chains, otherwise known as scope three emissions. This is important to meet the demands of both regulating bodies, customers, and increased sectorial integration. Businesses are increasingly expected to ensure the sustainability of supply chains, including reducing carbon emissions and protecting natural resources and so on. And, and these public-private private partnerships can really help uh, create sustainable supply chains by by this uh, collaboration between suppliers, different sectors, and, and, and also promoting sustainable practices. The gains of public-private partnerships also translate into financing. Because without green investments, all of our good ambitions won't be realized. In Denmark, for example, our trailblazing wind industry would not have grown if public-private partnerships hadn't engaged in collective, long-term commitments to ensure workable financial conditions. Well, green investments can face regulatory barriers, you know, uh, complex permitting processes or lack of uh, supportive policies. And that goes exactly to the heart of the work of the climate partnerships, which could actually help overcome uh, barriers by engaging both policymakers and advocating for supportive policies. The close private partnerships we experienced over the last 20, 30 years in Denmark Uh, has really shown that 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 public-private partnerships can leverage uh, public and private funds to finance uh, green investments. The list of ways in which public-private partnerships can contribute to the acceleration of the green transition is long and full of possibilities. In the end, it all comes down to a simple fact. The green transition of our societies is deeply dependent on fostering synergy between the public and the private sector. While the public sector provides the ambitious long-term goals and stable framework conditions, the private sector supplies the innovation and solutions needed 
to achieve the visions. The Danish climate partnerships are an example of how public-private partnerships can progress the discussion on how to bring about the necessary green change together. Public-private partnerships are neither a silver bullet nor a standalone. The Danish story is simply a testament to the fact that trust, collaboration and binding commitments are paying dividends. Anas, if someone asked you why we should pursue public-private partnerships in the green transition, what are the reasons you would highlight? I mean, probably most of them. <laughs> no, I, I, I think one of, one of the things that, that that you sometimes forget when when you when you do policies that, that that all of them are about that somebody out in the real world need to change and need to do something differently. So by involving them in the process of actually discussing what changes needed then they're much more and much better equipped to actually do that. I think that would be sort of a North Star that you can actually make sure that you get much bigger impact if you have this public private partnership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sound of Green. We want to give a special thanks to Anders Hoffmann from the Danish Ministry for Climate, Energy and Utilities, Jens Daniel Petersen from the Confederation of Danish Industries, and Anna Sigurdve Ragnarstotir from the Icelandic Ministry of the Environment, Energy and Climate for sharing their experiences. If you want to know more about the Danish Climate Partnerships, you can visit climatepartnerships2030.com. Here, you can download the Climate Partnership Playbook and explore each partnership's work and recommendations. For more stories and solutions from the Danish Green Transition, visit our website, stateofgreen.com. Here you can dive deeper into Denmark's approach to creating a sustainable society and connect with the solution providers that make it possible.